Welcome to Flip the Library, GCPL's podcast. My name is Melissa Grimaud, Supervisory Librarian at Norcross. And I'm Steve Thomas, Branch Manager at the Collins Hill Branch. And today we'll be talking to staff who attended ALA's conference um, at New Orleans. Yeah, so we're going to get started and let everybody introduce themselves, and then we will get into the questions. I'm Janae Watson. I am a library associate at the Lilburn Branch. Hi, I'm Joseph Milam. Uh, I'm a library assistant at Decula. Hi, I'm Kate Delaney. I am a learning lab specialist at the Hamilton Mill branch. Hey there, I'm Drew Hill. I'm the supervisory librarian at the Decula branch. Hello, I'm Mac Freeman. I'm the branch manager of the Peachtree Corners branch. Hi, my name is Mira Sresta. I'm a library associate at the Lawrenceville branch. And I'm Alex Olson. I'm the training associate with the training department. So ALA is known for having a lot of big speakers, and this year one of the biggest one and biggest two, I guess, they spoke together was former First Lady Michelle Obama and the Librarian of Congress Carla Hayden at the opening session. Did everybody get a chance to attend that session? Yes. 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 What was it about that session that you got back that was a positive message that you wanted to bring back to the library? The talk was candid, it was humorous, and of course it was inspirational. I always like hearing Michelle Obama acknowledge the part that her parents played in laying the foundation of who she is and what she values. That idea of if I stand tall, it's because I'm standing on the shoulders of my ancestors. She's very consistent with that message. I also liked hearing her tell a little bit about her personal story of balancing work and family life and the sacrifices and choices that she made when she stepped into the role of First Lady. Uh, the way that her life went into warp speed, and she said her brain, I'm paraphrasing here, but her brain hardly had time to register at all. Um, I do remember her saying, for instance, that um, it was a story that she shared um, where she talked about the way that she'd actually visited Prague, but you know, maybe uh, prior to visiting Prague, she'd been in Africa, right? So She's got all these activities, you know, back to back to back. And again, her brain hardly had time to process it. And she said that the only way that one of her staff could convince her that she'd actually been to Prague was that they had to show her a city, uh, excuse me, show her a picture of her in that city. So I appreciated her um, saying that it's possible to have it all, so to speak, but that it's just not possible to have it all at once. As a working mother with dreams and ambitions, I've said a version of the same thing to myself over the years. Um, So the takeaway for me with that talk was that high-achieving women like Michelle Obama have the same challenges and dilemmas as as the rest of us, of course. They're doing the same juggling act. It was um, just as exciting to me to see trombone shorty though (laughs) all dressed up and leading a group of new orleans musicians new orleans musical history is so rich and mentorship has always been a big part of preserving that um that culture that wonderful culture so i was happy to see him carrying that forward so the thing that i liked most about the conversation between um the first lady michelle obama and uh dr hayden was that um, Ms. Obama was talking about how 
when she had her second child that she was considering going back to work and that the University of Chicago was trying to recruit her to become, I believe it was the Dean of Student Affairs or something like that. And she was just talking about, she's like, my life is too complicated. You know, I have a husband who's gone most of the week. I have one young child. I have a new baby. You know, my life already has a lot of things going on. So she's like, I am going to go in and I'm going to ask for exactly what I need. And it's this crazy long list and nobody's ever going to do this, but they have been recruiting me and recruiting me and all this sort of thing. So she's like, so I got dressed and I like, I took my baby and I just looked at her and I was like, we're going to an interview and we're going to, you know, they're going to see exactly what my life is like. And I'm going to ask for all these things. And if they can't meet it, that's fine. That's just how it is. And she asked for all of it and they gave it to her. And her biggest point was that, you know, people to get what you need from where you're working or from the people in your life, you have to ask for it. People may tell you no or they may not uh, 100% you know, meet you where you are, but you'll never get your needs met unless you're willing to verbalize what you need and to commit to it. And so, you know, hearing that from somebody who is, you know, so accomplished and somebody who really thought, you know, you know I'm going to give up my career as an executive because I have family obligations that I thought was something that was was really touching is something that's important for kind of people in all walks of their or all stages of their life to remember. One of the things I found really interesting was um, she did talk a little bit about her book that she has coming out, and I believe it was November. And uh, I thought it was really interesting. Everything that she spoke about was kind of humanizing this person who seems just totally out of the normal person's reach and a lot of what she talked about really reminded people that she's just a regular woman who goes through a lot of the same struggles with balancing career and family and doing what she wants with her life but also accommodating um, you know what she has going on with her husband and her kids and so that was really interesting and she did mention that her book is sort of she said a rehumanizing of herself since most people uh, just see her as the first lady and they forget a lot of her accomplishments that she had before she became the first lady, uh, but also what she did while she was in the White House, not just uh, what her husband as the president did. Well, there also um, were a couple of um, more pop culture kind of names there, uh, Sally Field and Viola Davis. Did anybody get to see either of their sessions? Uh, So Viola Davis was the closing speaker and... um, she was absolutely charming. You know, she walked out and she's like, wow, I never expected to see this many librarians in one place. And, um, but she talked a lot about what her life was like growing up and how she spent a lot of her childhood in the public library. She was one of the students who would uh, finish the school day and she'd go to the library and stay there until it was dark. And so, and she, she grew up, you know, um, in a, in a poor socioeconomic class and so that the library really was a lifeline for her and a place where she read and she was that teen who attended all the programs because they were always around and so I think that it, to me that really struck me in that we have a lot of our customers are the ones especially our young people are people who are there all the time and it can be easy to kind of overlook that after a certain point of time but you never know what these people are going to go on to do um and I, I can't remember the name, but Viola Davis was talking about the like she still knew the names of the librarians she interacted with, and how she wished she could go back and, and thank them for all that uh, they've done for her, but how important books have been to her. And so the reason that she was the closing speaker is that she's writing the new corduroy book, 
Um, Corduroy Takes a Bow, which is all about the theater, which Viola Davis knows a lot about because she has all the Tonys. <laughs> and so, um, and so, but she was talking about, you know, how important that book was for her and how important it was for her, you know, to to see people like her in children's literature. And so she never believed that there shouldn't be people who looked like her in children's lit because one of her earliest books was something that, that she really connected to. And it was just, it was a, a really uh, good session. And she was a, a really good speaker who clearly also is very connected to libraries and books and wasn't just, you know, filling a quota or getting a free trip to New Orleans from her publisher. You know, she, she clearly wanted to be there and she had stuff to say. And there was also uh, the last famous person that I recall being there as Emilio Estevez who was there to um, talk about his new film The Public that has not been wide released yet but they did have a few screenings at ALA um, does anybody want to say basically what the movie is about and what you thought about it uh, so basically the movie takes place in um, Cincinnati at the Cincinnati Public Library their main building downtown and uh, it basically follows just a 48-hour period um, where the homeless population that attends the library regularly are concerned about staying out overnight during the freezing weather. It is wintertime, and um, there's already been a few people that have died from um, being outside overnight. So they basically uh, do sort of a occupy the library and refuse to leave. And it also involves a couple of library personnel and um, of course, the police get involved and some um, elected officials, and it's sort of the story of how um, this event sort of progresses and the temporary resolution that they get, at least within those 48 hours. Um, I found the movie to be really, really good. I would say of everything that I've seen in movies or TV, it's one of the best uh, representations of libraries that I've ever seen in media. It doesn't really stereotype. It shows libraries for what they are, the good, the bad, the humorous, uh, all of it. And so it was very clear to me that Emilio Estevez did a lot of research before uh, writing the movie and putting it together that he really... Um, wanted to represent libraries correctly while also making a really good movie. And I appreciate that as someone that's grown up in libraries from a very young age, that this was actually a movie I felt like was made for me and was made correctly. I was also able to see the movie and I, like Alex, just loved it. I really enjoyed it because it does feel like it was made for librarians by a librarian. Um, it, it's a drama, but there are some very humorous points. Things that we hear as librarians, like I don't know the title of the book, but it's blue and it's on the top shelf. Things like that that we get to see. But what I liked is that it also um, just kind of, it really humanizes patrons who are who happen to be homeless. And it's not just like in a lot of television you see that, oh, this person is mentally ill or, oh, this person, you know, just is lazy. You actually get to see these people and you get to hear their stories and see what they're all about. And it's a little different view than what we see in Gwinnett because we have a lot of less traditional homeless and more of housing insecurity. So it was a new, something that I haven't gotten to see living in the suburbs, working in kind of a suburbia library, having that always been my experience, you get to see a different view that people were saying that their library is very rural. So it's a different view for everybody, but it's still you're able to relate to it because you know these patrons, you know who they are, and you can recognize them and everything in, in their interactions. Okay, well, thank you guys for sharing um, your insight about the movie, The Public, and I'm sure when it comes out, we'll have a lot of librarians going out to purchase tickets. <laughs>
Um, but there were many other sessions during ALA. So um, who would like to share their favorite session or the session that they found most interesting? There were so many. Um, this is Kate. I went to a lot of sessions, a lot, probably like over 20. Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, and there were a lot with just different interesting tidbits that I took away, but probably the most interesting one was um, not a traditional session, but it was a roundtable discussion um, from a group called Learn RT, which is one of like the extra ALA communities that you can join and be a part of. Um, and as someone who is one, new to libraries, and two, in a department that is new in and of itself, uh, I found it really invaluable to just be able to sit down and have like kind of that informal back and forth tossing around of ideas and solutions to challenges and things like that with people who have already been there and done that and, um, you know, built their own programs or whatever it is that they're doing at their libraries across the country. Um, so it was really great to be able to make those connections and just get suggestions and thoughts from people that I hadn't thought of before and that I'll be able to bring back and, you know, make hopefully improvements in the way that I do my own programming. One of the programs that I was able to go to was about how to involve teens in your marketing and have them be more involved. And at Tequila, we have a high school right across the street and we have a middle school right next to us. So as soon as school gets out, we're inundated with teenagers. And it's always a bit of a challenge. Like, how can we get them interested in what the library has to have? Because, you know, they're they're out of school. They're, their brains are fried. They're done. They don't want to, you know really do anything else that's to school so one of the really amazing things that the library that was doing the presentation it was the the um, public library in pittsburgh and they were having a marketing where their teen section was just a big empty t and the kids would draw a design and they would have an art competition every year and whoever won their design filled the teen. It was this amazing way to have kids say like, yes, that's me. Like I'm involved in this. My voice, like my count, Matt, like my, I voted for that one. I really matter for this library. And they were able to have an iPad that they would send around and have the actual teens do an Instagram takeover and have the teens talk about what, like, what's this program doing? What are we doing? How are we doing this? And have the teens actually doing it themselves. It wasn't just me, the librarian talking to Alex, the teenager. It was Johnny talking to Steven and they were having fun. And it was just so amazing that they had really gotten these teens involved and that it, there was such a, this great response to it from the teens that they, that they really enjoyed it. And I thought it was just super cool. I also attended several sessions, like uh, Kate said, and one of the most sessions that I like is promoting healthy community. And uh, there was a speaker from Kansas, um, Kansas City Public Library, and they said that they have uh, they hire the health and wellness librarian, and they do lots of um, uh, health health program for the community. So they did a program for patrons creating a lifelong healthier choice and habits, and they did the 
education, health education classes for chronic disease, uh, self-management. They also had a certified fitness instructor and then they provide the free exercise class, uh, classes hosted by library, their um, library branches. And um, the one thing they said that um, with that fitness instructor, what they did is they did the weight loss challenges and one person lost um, uh, more than 100 pounds um, during that challenge and then all total they, you know, they lost 595 pounds um, during that challenge so that was really interesting and they were focusing on uh, community health programs at their library. I didn't attend quite as many sessions as Kate, <laughs> and a lot of my sessions were focused on sort of staff development and training, which if you're not doing training is uh, not the most interesting to listen to, but um, one of the uh, sessions I did attend that was really interesting was sort of a transforming spaces and um, promoting inclusion in the interiors and exteriors of your library, and a lot of what they talk about is sometimes things we can't fix when a building is already built. Um, but they did bring up the point that libraries are an interesting place because they are designed for all people and they're non-commercial. And there's not a lot of places like that left anymore where people are not expected to purchase anything. And it's open to people from the lowest to the highest um, socioeconomic areas, different demographics, all of that. Uh, so they talked about how the sustainability of having inclusive places is really important. And it was actually a panel of, I believe it was um, five or six different speakers that all talked about different areas of inclusion. Um, my favorite was probably um, the speaker from Denmark. And they uh, definitely spurred a lot of jealousy for their new library building that they had. They actually won a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and they built an entire new library slash innovation center uh, that was really amazing. And they actually showed a little video. They have a video on YouTube if you're interested in seeing it. Uh, which if you like buildings and architecture, I would recommend it. But the library is called Doc One, D-O-K-K One. Uh, and they have a really cool little video. It was like a three-minute tour of the library building, and it was just amazing all of the stuff that they incorporated from ramps for people to get in to tons of different seating arrangement areas to accommodate all different kinds of groups of people and different stuff. They do fashion shows. They have concerts. They just do, like, amazing things. And so that was really interesting. I had left that with a lot of uh, library building envy. Uh, and I would love to have one like that. I asked my husband if we could move to Denmark. He said no. Um, but maybe someday I can go visit that library. Um, but one of the things that was also really interesting is they talked about that we can't forget inclusion for our staff. And that a lot of times we do a lot in our open spaces for the public to be accommodating, but we forget about staff areas, um, you know, break rooms and workspaces and then we have to remember that our staff are just as diverse and um, just have just as much of a variety of accessibility needs and not to forget that when we're designing our um, back workspaces so I thought that was very interesting I know that a lot of the branches have been working on some of that getting better tables or adjusting height areas that type of thing but it was something to keep in mind that I don't know that um, a lot of people probably forget that I know I didn't think of it so I found that interesting. So I attended a session called Zines is Critical Resistance. 
the central kind of idea being, uh, well, something I wasn't really familiar with as much. Uh, so zines are, zines being a like sort of self-produced uh, newspaper or magazine, basically. And um, they sort of talked about the zine sort of place and like how they were incorporating it in a library, um, how they used it to engage people. Additionally, sort of how zines were treated as like when they talk about critical resistance as a sort of as a way to subvert common knowledge, I guess, about an area. So I think I might be totally getting this wrong. I did not look this up. Um, but so they started out uh, with a Native American woman. And one of the things that she was pushing, well, not pushing, but uh, or was involved with is so it's a website called Bulbancha is still a place. And it was essentially a response. Can you spell that? Oh, sure. Um, again, I think it's spelled like this. Um, it's a B-U-L-B-A-N-C-H-A. And essentially, it's sort of a documentation of, like, the native peoples of, I think it was in New Orleans, I want to say. It could have just been an entirely different area. It was sort of a response to how, like, when we look at history, oftentimes it is written by, as the saying goes, written by the victors. And not so much uh, the people who were already there, for example, and trying to make sure that they weren't totally erased from history. And it's a very useful sort of response in that way, just the ability to essentially take like eight and a half by 11 paper, slap it together with glue and a lot of glue and um, just sort of tell your own story, I guess. And they talked a little bit about how that's incorporated in libraries, not a whole lot. Um, one of the panelists uh, was a zine librarian of some sort, and she talked about how they had zine programs at certain points, uh, how they maintained a zine collection. Uh, that might be more something on the academic end, but it was something that I just found very interesting. I went to a session called or titled An Invitation to Family Literacy, the Reading Ambassadors Program. It was presented by two youth services librarians from Santa Barbara Public Library, and their names were Lisa Gonzalez and Molly Weta. They shared their approach for training over 1,200 emerging readers at schools and camps and after-school programs. So they were training these children to become family storytellers. Um, anyone who's interested in learning more about the program can uh, check them out at read together s like sam be like boy dot com slash reading dash ambassadors plural dash toolkit and you'll get you know just a really good sense of um, what it is that they're doing with that program I also went to libraries saving lives serving immigrants and refugees international relations roundtable chairs program <laughs> The speaker that I heard was, and I'm going to make an attempt to pronounce his name, uh, Torbjorn Nilsson, and he's the director of Malmo Library in Sweden. Malmo is a coastal city in the south of Sweden, and it's got a population of about 360,000 people. Uh, so Mr. Nilsson spoke about how about a third of their population is foreign-born. Many of them are from Arabic-speaking countries like Syria. He also mentioned that there are a number of Sami people, and the Sami are indigenous people of uh, Scandinavia, as well as uh, Jews and Roma people. Um, 
He talked about how his library makes it a priority to find ways to serve and essentially empower non-native Swedish speakers to help to integrate them into Swedish society. One of their programs is a social media initiative called, and I'm going to make an attempt to pronounce this um, Arabic word, Maktabat al-Atfal, where they broadcast info on Facebook about library programs and resources for kids in Swedish and Arabic. A number, another one of their programs that sounded really cool um, is their yearly Swedish for Immigrants Expo that is coordinated entirely by non-native library community. You know, so it's the people putting together an expo focusing on, you know, services and, you know, things that they feel that they need. I appreciated Nielsen's formula for organizing these programs, which was one, create opportunities, two, collaborate with the community and allow them the literal and figurative space to design programs that meet their needs. His words were, not everything has to happen in the name of the library. And so his approach was to help and, you know, to facilitate to a point, but then to step back. Um, I did also um, take note that GCPL seems to, or does have similar initiatives with uh, the bilingual story times that we offer bilingual publicity material as well as our Learn and Talk and Let's Talk programs. Um, two other events that I really enjoyed were the Pura Belpre Awards Celebration, which recognizes outstanding Latin authors and illustrators, and it was also cool to cast my first vote for a colleague to serve on the Coretta Scott King Award Jury. So my ALA experience was a little different because uh, I am the incoming chair of one of ALA's roundtables, the Intellectual Freedom Roundtable, so I went to a lot more structural and planning and organizing sort of meetings um, that have to do with the association at, at large. And so uh, one of the things that I found the most interesting, though, about all of the sessions that I was going to is that if you're not part of ALA, it's an interesting time to potentially think about becoming a part because the structure is radically changing. Um, they're going through this organizational effectiveness model to see what works, what doesn't, and to make it more engaging, especially for new members and people like that. And so they're going to you know, be massively investing in things like advocacy and IT and uh, connections and things like that. But what ALA looks like in three years will probably be very different from what it looked like today. And so it's a, it's a time of, of change, and that's kind of in the air for what a lot of people were, were talking about at the conference, especially when it comes to the, the conference. This was the very first conference that uh, ALA the programs were selected by juries. It used to be that every piece of ALA got like slots on the calendar that they could fill. And so this is the first time that people from the general membership were able to promote whatever program they wanted to, and they got selected by 14 different groups. And so it's been really gratifying to hear that everybody enjoyed so much of what they went to because New Orleans was the experiment for that. And so I think that there's a lot of good development that's going to uh, to keep happening in those sorts of directions. And uh and I'm, as a professional association involvement shill, you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody who wants to know more about that. <laughs> uh, so uh, another thing that uh, I did was uh, I emceed the, uh, the Stonewall Book Awards. If, if you're not familiar with the Stonewall Book Awards, they're the, I believe they're the, uh, the first um, book awards specifically for LGBTQ-related literature. Uh, there's a, an adult fiction award, an adult nonfiction award, and a young adult and children's award. And so what cheering it this past year, I led, a, I led the adult side. And so there were six of us who 
requested about a thousand items, received about six or seven hundred of them, and reviewed them and culled them down. And we actually picked all of our winners in February. But this was our chance to invite all the authors to come in, give them their awards, and hear them speak. And so the authors that were able to come, it was very, very touching because. Um, and many of the authors cried themselves, and they made other people that were in the audience cry. Uh, because, you know, for many people, um, like one of our nonfiction winners, uh, Andrew Evans, who wrote The Black Penguin, which is a, a memoir um, based off of a, a National Geographic proposal that he did to be a modern explorer. And, and I think it was 2011, he basically took the bus from Washington, D.C. to Antarctica. Because um, he was trying to see, like, what is it like to be a National Geographic explorer in the modern age when everything's so connected? But to get that book published, he apparently shopped it for seven years, and nobody would buy it for anything. And it was also about, you know, his life growing up um, as gay and as a Mormon and how the, the intersection of that. And so it was very interesting to see. But we, we had, you know, winners kind of from all over. Um, I, I'm sorry, I've forgotten their name, but one of the honor book recipients, um, they were talking about how difficult it can be to get uh, trans voices into the uh, graphic novel world. And especially if you're going to publish about trans characters, you know, how it can be difficult to find a place that will publish or to find this. And so it's, I think that it's the work of, you know, the, the Stonewall Book Awards is, is very important because most of these are small presses. I, I think of the, the nine winners and honor books that, that my half of the group did. We only had one that was from a big five publisher and the rest were from smaller presses. And so it can be a really valuable way to, to get that information. But it's also really nice to see people come together around, you know, one big topic and um, really embrace it. You know, so it's nice to see people show up for the uh, the Stonewall Book Awards or the Coretta Scott King Awards or the other awards that we have that are for to highlight winners from traditionally overlooked literature. A lot of times at these conferences, you're so a group of people go together that we kind of know each other but when you're in your sessions you're not really usually with people I did accidentally sit at the table and look across the table and saw Alex sitting there at a session I was like oh okay <laughs> hi Alex <laughs> um, but usually you're with people that you don't know necessarily um, did you all get to meet anybody that you kind of made a connection with that you're going to try to keep up with after the conference or even maybe just hear a speaker that you'd want to try to keep up keep up with even maybe not personally but on a professional kind of basis of following their work in the future uh, for me, I I did meet one person, and out of all of the thousands and thousands of librarians that were there, I was actually waiting in line for uh, the session with Michelle Obama, and I started talking to the person next to me, and I realized that she was actually getting ready to start working at the library that I worked for in Orlando before I moved to Georgia. So I was kind of like, out of all the thousands of people, I meet someone that's going to work in the same library system that I did. Um, so that was kind of an interesting experience. We were able to talk a little bit about um, just that area in Florida, and she was currently working at the Seminole County Library, which I did not know a lot about, although they're a neighboring uh, library to where I worked before. So it was kind of interesting to hear the difference between a much smaller county library and the Orange County Library where she was going to be working, um, where I did work. So that was interesting um, to hear a little bit more about that. But I just found that kind of funny that out of all those people, I sat next to someone that I had that close of a connection to. What I think is valuable about, you know, if you're able to go to conferences with, with some sort of regularities, you start seeing a lot of the same faces around it. So you can kind of reconnect with people and, and see what's going on with them. So one of the people that I had the, the chance to reconnect with a couple of times at this conference is uh, is Courtney Young, who is uh, 
So the former ALA president, probably the the youngest ALA president in 50 years, and um, but she was telling me how like she just became director of an academic library in upstate New York, and she was moving like a week after the conference ended, and you know, and so she is somebody who I find to be very inspiring because. Uh, you know, and, I, and she was telling me more about her story that I didn't really realize, which is I've always considered her to be somebody who is very invested in ALA and like has, you know, clearly done a lot for the association and been able to get a lot out of it. But she, we got to talking about the last time that ALA was in New Orleans, which was uh, right after uh, Hurricane Katrina. Uh, quick side note, if you didn't know, uh, the American Library Association was the first association to host a convention in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. We were the first group back. And... Um, but uh, she was talking about, she's like, oh, I had a terrible conference and I didn't come back to ALA for five years. And so I think that that whole idea of that something that like an, an association or a group might not be right for you at a certain time, but that you can come back for it and come back to it when you're in a different space and it's in a different space, I think is something that is, is very valuable. And But all the different people that I, I keep running into, um, I think that they constantly have new things for me to learn. And I, I think that it's probably the most valuable part of the conference overall. It's even such a great place to run into people from Georgia. Um, I sat down in the at the gate for us to fly out to New Orleans, and I didn't even look at the woman who was sitting to my right because our entire group was to the left, and I started talking, and she turns around and she goes, I know that voice. And it was, <laughs> it was Tracy Walker, who is the outreach coordinator for Forsyth County and a storyteller who's been hired from, by many library systems around the state of Georgia. And so you just as you get connected to the broader field, you will keep running into people over and over and over who are connected to libraries in some way, you know, like Alex and, you know, like somewhere that you used to work. It's just something that keeps happening. So what would you say to anyone interested um, in attending a conference, whether it be a big national conference like ALA or even a, a smaller conference like GLA? I would say absolutely go for it. This was my first library-related conference, and it was incredibly valuable to me, like on a personal level, um, just seeing the immense breadth of this profession. I was not prepared for the sheer magnitude of what ALA was. Um, And I think anybody who, like me, is you know, trying to find their footing in this path. Um, It was really empowering. It was such a positive experience just seeing like all of the different people from different walks of life doing totally different things, um, yet having to do with libraries. Um, And, you know, I think there was something there for everyone. And it was just really nice that, um, for one thing, GCPL was willing to support me in doing professional development like that, and that the community at large is so supportive of each other um, and what we're all doing at our own home libraries. So for me, a lot of it was the um, was like what Kate said. Um, it's a perspective thing. You don't really get as much chances when you're like working in the branches to. You know, talk to someone who works in the academic libraries. So, I mean, just yeah, just that in and of itself is uh, is what makes it work. That I think. So, if you're on the fence about going, absolutely go and wear comfortable shoes. Yeah. Um, I, which <laughs> yes. uh, you know, I, somebody pointed out that the Morial Convention Center in New Orleans is one mile long from end to end, and, and we <laughs> and we covered the breadth of it. So you <laughs> but, got your steps in. Oh, yeah, yes. everybody got their steps every single day, and. 
but also that you can, if, if something seems like it's too far away or if national seems too big to get started with, start with something smaller. There are loads of, you know, there's the annual state Georgia Library Conference where we send people, um, and there are loads of smaller Atlanta-based, like one-day or two-day conferences that happen. Sometimes they have no charge associated with them. And so you can either, you know, ask and see if it's something that we could support here locally or it's something that you could potentially do on your own time if you're interested in you know professional career development sort of stuff so i I highly recommend that and also if you want to kind of go from here nothing ups your chances like presenting and so if you're doing cool stuff and every one of our teams and locations are doing cool stuff write up a proposal write up a presentation and present if you've never presented before everybody has a first time and so, you know, there, there's no time like the present to get beyond that. We're all public speakers. It's all part of what we do. And you're never going to find a more supportive audience than a library conference. And so if you're, if you're on the fence or if you thought, oh, maybe I'll do it in the future, I highly recommend doing it the next time that you're available. I also highly recommend to go go for it. Uh, this is my first conference, and I really enjoyed, and I had a wonderful time, and I learned lots, uh, lots in, in during this conference time. I attended my this um, in this conference. I focused on diversity, inclusion, and collaboration, and so I learned a lot about. Uh, we are, we have been doing some of the inclusion, collaboration, uh, and uh, diversity, but I learned a lot from other library system who are doing the same thing but a little bit more or a little bit differently so I highly recommend if you get the chance don't let it go Uh, I would also recommend that you go if you're thinking about it or just interested um, just from the training standpoint of course I always want to encourage any staff development opportunity but uh, it really is a good experience to see a wide variety of topics and just to get that experience to learn outside of your very busy branch I know that a lot of staff probably watch webinars and do other um, trainings online, but I know that when you're sitting in your busy workroom or staff place, it's probably a little bit harder to concentrate on everything, but being able to go to a separate location where your only focus for that day or that weekend or that week is just to experience that conference and learn is a really valuable way Uh, to get new ideas and interact with other people. So it's very different than any type of staff development that you would just do at your branch. Um, And then it's just a great place. We always joke in libraries that, you know, we're always finding ideas online and stealing them. And there's just so many ideas at the conference, so many people that have done things that you're thinking about doing but haven't figured out how to do or have ideas that you never even considered. And you're like, wow, that would be so easy to do here at GCPL. Um, So it is a great uh, way to get uh, lots of ideas and like Max said definitely wear comfortable shoes and bring a jacket because it's usually pretty cold <laughs> yes. inside the conference which is awkward when it's blazingly hot outside uh, but you know that's just my piece of advice <laughs> and uh, because I totally forgot when I asked this answer this question earlier um, the other thing to it that's really nice is there's almost kind of a psychological effect to just being not the only librarian in the room in a public place on the way to the conference center one day, I was waiting for the shuttle, and uh, there were these two older German women, I think. They had, they had very German-sounding accents. And I asked if they were waiting for the shuttle to the convention center. They were like, no, 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 we are not librarians. <laughs> it's a great opportunity, uh, whether you know a big conference like ALA Annual or a smaller regional 
uh, conference. So there are so many levels on which you can participate. You can take it all in in the way that you might a festival or fair by uh, doing things like meeting your favorite authors in person and hearing them speak on just a wide range of topics. And you get access to books before they they are available to the public, sometimes for free. Um, sometimes there are film screenings and musical performances. Like I mentioned earlier, Trombone Shorty performed this year and last year at ALA in Chicago. They had something wonderful, and it was called the Front Porch Stage. And it featured so many different kinds of music, from African drums to Caribbean steel pan Chicago blues, jazz, Latin, Middle Eastern. It was, you know, for me, it was wonderful. I love music. Um, Or you can step it up a notch by uh, seeing the conference experience as an opportunity to develop yourself professionally. And by this, I mean joining committees and getting involved with, you know, those and roundtables and that kind of thing. These help you to sharpen your skills or sharpen skills you might already have or develop new ones. For instance, last year was my first year as a member of ALA, and it was also my first ALA conference. Um, At the conference, I immediately uh, joined two or three committees, one of which was the Coretta Scott King Book Award, and I got involved with a subcommittee of CSK, which was a tech committee, and they managed the CSK blog. Uh, So I've been able to uh, contribute to the blog. I found out about... um, uh, publication opportunities. I think I, I submitted um, an entry to. Um, it, it's a book, you know, that they're uh, putting out really soon. Um, yeah, and also as a result of, yeah, at this year's conference, I got the opportunity to sit on a panel. So, serving on these committees can connect you to colleagues, you know, all over the country and around the world, and that's real cool. Um, participating on the committees also makes it easy to graduate onto leadership roles within the committees if you're interested in, you know, following that path. And I think most importantly, you get to see the big picture of librarianship, meaning that you can feel and see the way that you're a part of a community or a movement. Uh, there are just so many doors to open and explore. Thank you, everyone, for coming and sharing with us your experience at ALA. It's been very fun, and we hope this encourages people to sign up when they see those emails to attend another conference. Thanks, everybody.